hey, and welcome to Hiden Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Sonia Mentel, who is a section cellist of the Minnesota Orchestra, and we'll be talking about her tattoos and tattoo art. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we met through a lot of mutual friends and also almost crossing paths a bit. I mean, I think I met you technically at Tanglewood when I was visiting and you were a fellow there. But then when you moved to the Twin Cities, I reached out and I was like, hey, let's get some coffee because I've heard so many great things about you and they are all true. So yeah, Yeah, that was a really nice coffee date. That was like, I think we talked for maybe two to three hours or or something. something. (laughs) I mean, when we get talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, it's hard to stop, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And also you shared with me your love of tattoos and tattoo art, but we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that a little later in the episode. So what's your most insane performance story? Probably my most insane performance story is when I was a student at a small orchestra camp in Wisconsin called Birch Creek, and we were rehearsing 1812, and the venue that we perform at is literally a barn. So when we were rehearsing 1812, there's the part that uses a cannon. Yes. And they set up this cannon at like the top portion of the barn. Okay. And they wanted to first see how loud it was, so they shot off one, I guess, cannon. Shot. A cannonball, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it went off and it was very loud. And then right away, everyone heard this very quiet squeaking sound. Okay. And everyone looked up and saw it was like this tiny little bat that oh, was like no. flying around. So I think they had no idea that there was probably like a little family of bats just oh, like no. chilling in the top of this barn. And it probably... <laughs> had like a complete heart attack when they were trying this cannon. So yeah, I felt everyone felt really bad for the bad, but then the orchestra was prepared to, you know, how loud this truly was going to be for the yeah. performance. So yeah. <laughs> that was probably the wildest thing. That's kind of that's so sad, but also really funny at the same poor bad. <laughs> I know, poor bad. <laughs> Did the bad ever approach the musicians at all? I don't think so. I definitely I remember seeing it fly off so maybe it just thought you know what I'm out <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. done <laughs> can you tell me about Sina? yes my cat is a very interesting kind of breed mm-hmm. um, it's called a lycoi which I'm pretty sure is Greek that translates to the word wolf so sometimes people refer to this type of cat as a werewolf cat I originally had the intention of getting a sphinx cat and so I was looking around for sphinx breeders in Minnesota and I ended up finding her on a sphinx breeders website and I contacted the sphinx breeder and I was very intrigued by this cat just because she looked very strange (laughs) just because she's partially has hair partially doesn't and the places where she doesn't have furs her face her ears and kind of near her feet and legs and the underbelly too right yes and when I traveled to go pick her up I was on honestly kind of shocked at how tiny she was. But as soon as I brought her home, she got comfortable really quickly. And yeah, within a couple months, like she was getting more comfortable meeting new people. And now I feel like a good chunk of folks from the orchestra have met her at this point and they all really like her. And yeah, yeah, she's probably one of the most social cats I've honestly ever come across. So I, yeah, Yeah. so I feel like I definitely lucked out with this one. 
She's so sweet and it's always so wonderful to see photos of her because it's an unusual breed and you don't see those kinds of cats that often. Can you talk a little yes. bit about the origin of Lycoy cats? This is a thing I, I, I'm always really bad at remembering exactly what mix it is because it's a mix of like a domestic cat and something else. It's the mix of the two. Well, I don't know. This is just a quick Wikipedia says it's a natural mutation from a domestic short haired cat, but right. Yeah. And it says that these cats don't carry the Sphinx or Devon Rex gene. Right. Yeah. Cause that's what people would assume since it is partially, partially hairless. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, it's hard to say exactly what she is because it's a breed that was recently found. I think in either 2011 or something like that, maybe earlier. But it's it's nice because it's a mix from domestic breed. It doesn't have a lot of problems that other breeds can have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel so like she's I definitely live a long time. Out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think she will. She's a healthy little girl. Oh, how old is she? Just turned four. Oh, wow. Yeah. Aw, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> Please give her a little pet rub for me. I will. Are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Yes. Mahler or Bruckner? Mahler. Debussy or Ravel? Ravel. Cats or dogs? Cats. Yeah. <laughs> Appetizer or dessert? Dessert, always. Okay. Do you have a favorite dessert? I do. I mean, chocolate is like one of my favorite things in yeah. the whole world, but I am a sucker for a really good creme brulee. Ooh. I'll make you a creme brulee. Yeah. yeah, I just I have I, the torch and everything. Yes, I just I I'm kind of obsessed when food can create sound. So I just I oh, love okay. that the action of like cracking Breaking it with the, the spoon. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Next time I'll bring you a creme brulee. Yeah, it's fun Excellent. to make too. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Sparkling or still water? Still, because I don't know how to burp, so. (laughs) (laughs) So that can be, (laughs) so that can be a little bit painful sometimes. (laughs) Because sometimes it'll end up being a really intense hiccup. And it'll, sometimes it's not as painful as other times, but I don't know. Sometimes it can be, I don't know, bad. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Nothing with carbonation. <laughs> I mean, I can handle it, but just not a lot at once. Okay. Yeah. Fan favorite question. Alternate universe musical instrument? Uh, harp. Oh. Harp was my first choice of instrument that I wanted to play. And when I told my parents that, who both, my dad was a violist and my mom is a cellist. So I told them I wanted to play the harp. And honestly, I think one of my biggest inspirations was from watching Harpo Marx from the Marx Brothers films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, for some reason, I just, whenever his scenes popped up, because, you know, there are always the scenes in those films where nearly each character gets their own moment to shine on their yeah. instrument and yeah. I was just so so entranced by Harpo's little bits and oh. yeah but I, I told my parents that I wanted to give it a shot and they were both like no but we would have yeah. to get we would have to get another car in the future if yeah. you wanted to do this I'm like oh okay so yeah. then I, I chose the cello <laughs> gotcha okay it's always funny to me because I always imagine it much bigger than it actually is mm. a harp mm-hmm. is not that as big you know but it is also like and it's such a beautiful instrument but yeah, yeah. it is like it's a burden mm-hmm. but yes. i mean a cello is also a burden too so i don't know it is yeah <laughs> they they both have their drawbacks yeah early bird or night owl <laughs> night owl pandemic guilty pleasure 
probably watching multiple films in a row and just i mean in general just binge watching okay it shows films yeah any, and, any ones that stood out during the pandemic oh better call Saul hands down that was probably the thing because at, at the beginning of the pandemic I was living with my ma at the time and so we just we watched everything together and like even shows like it's always sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. which I think sometimes it surprises people that I watched mm-hmm. all 14 seasons with my mom <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but we both had such a great time watching that show and And I think in a way it was also a way for us to bond because we both felt like it was a show that my dad would have really liked. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we were also kind of watching it with him in mind while we were watching it. Yeah, just because we just thought, oh yeah, he totally would have loved this type of humor. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I feel like the things that stick out to me are It's Always Sunny and Better Call Saul. Those two things were... Yeah. definitely big highlights gotcha <laughs> favorite professor shout out i mean the last three cello teachers i had they did so much for me in, in terms of truly helping me find my voice and and getting just as comfortable as i can with the instrument and i mean those three are definitely like hans jensen during my high school years and natasha brofsky for undergrad at nec and brant taylor at depaul those three mean a lot to me. But then I, I had a teacher at NEC that I took a lot of really interesting courses from, and she made a huge impact on me. Like, I took like Buddhist philosophy, and I took like a sculpture class with her, and a film class with her. She kind of just did wow. everything, and unfortunately, she passed not too long ago, and oh. that's actually one of the things I have as a tattoo in wow. memory of her, and yeah. it was one of the first things I had tattooed on to me just because she she ended up being like a second mom to me during my time at NEC and yeah, she she definitely was one of those people that made me feel just more comfortable in my skin. And, and I just also noticed that she was just one of those teachers that cared so much about every single student in the classroom. Yeah. Like, she never let one person sit in the back and, like, never say anything. Like, she always, like, wanted everyone to, you know, speak up and, part- yeah, and participate. And that meant a lot to see that. What was her name? But Gretchen Brees. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that she recently passed. I, yeah. It's okay. Most inspired musical hero of any genre? Honestly, I'm such a big fan of Wispel Wave. Oh. He, he's, yeah, Peter okay. yeah, I got to see him do a whole program and that, that performance was probably one that has been totally ingrained into my brain. He just has such a unique perspective with pieces that he performs and I don't know even like the musical things he does it would sometimes they'd be things I I would never have thought of to do and it's it's always such a pleasant surprise hearing him just do so much and so much I don't want to say weird (laughs) but but it's just it's just so unique what he does with classic rep and he also has an amazing Instagram I don't know if you've seen it (laughs) no he oh my god he does these amazing warm-up 
ups and like crazy exercises and it's oh it's so great to watch i might have uh, heard about them though but yeah yeah, yeah. uh-huh i mean he'll do things blindfolded and it's a joy to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really i admire him so much most transformative performance experience it probably was the performance of Mahler 5 with my youth orchestra, mm. actually. It was my senior year of high school. Yeah, and I think it just it had such an impact on me because I was playing with Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra for four years. And that, that was the place where I found out that I really want to be an orchestral musician. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, when I grew up. Just, and I mean, I felt incredibly lucky to have been able to have a youth orchestra like Chicago. We did some really heavy rep (laughs) during my time and definitely the reason the Mahler 5 truly stuck in my brain because I knew it was the last time I would be performing with them and you know about to head to college and yeah I mean I remember people were absolutely in tears (laughs) Mm -hmm. after that performance. It meant a lot to a lot of people and yeah because I mean the people created such heavy bonds playing in that group and a lot of us you know still talk to one another and of course it was also kind of a wild experience because we weren't even sure if our conductor Alan Tinkham was going to be able to conduct us because he got extremely sick very suddenly and I think um, yeah I definitely remember we had a guest conductor for like the, uh, maybe the last couple rehearsals or something like that mm-hmm. but then he was able to do the concert and yeah that meant a lot. I remember it being a very full of emotion for mm-hmm. that whole performance. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was probably it. Yeah. All the high school feels of, uh, you mm-hmm. know, graduating and yeah. To- and then also the full circle of like kind of the family kind of coming back together when someone was mm-hmm. not. No. It yeah. Makes, yeah. It makes sense. And also Mahler 5. I mean, come on. Like. <laughs> yeah. 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 People Epic. were really excited to be doing that mm-hmm. one in, in youth orchestra for sure. Desert Island piece of any genre? My favorite orchestral piece of all time is Ravel's La Valse. So, I mean, I feel like that kind of goes both ways. Like, I I would be able to play that piece every single day and not get sick of it. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and probably listening to it, too, honestly. Uh, it's it's actually kind of a pipe dream of mine to at some point attempt to arrange that for eight celli. Oh my god! Because I, yeah. I think I think it could work. I think it would be really really cool. But yeah, one day maybe. Really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It would probably be very difficult. But yeah. I think people would be up for it. Oh, I think yeah, for so. Sure. <laughs> Talk to Blaze and then <laughs> he'll yes. arrange it. <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. Can you describe the piece a little bit for those who might not know the backstory of Ravel's Levels? Yeah, I, I mean, the time that it was written, since it was at the end of World War One. I, I mean, it's a very chaotic piece. I mean, it, it, you're kind of hearing the waltz, the style of a waltz kind of collapsing in on itself. And yeah. I feel like that goes hand in hand with what the world was feeling like at the time. Can I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interject, yeah. but it's yeah, like yeah. imagining, imagining if anyone's watched Downton Abbey, this idea of the classism and then suddenly it's just not really, you know, yeah. 
it's right. going to be shuffled and yes yeah and because i feel like at that time like art was turning into more and more like very terrifying and abstract looking things and and even like composers they were starting to write more atonal work at that time as well so i feel like this piece really mirrors everything that's going on in history and yeah. it's uh, to me it's just it's such a good balance of like like absolute luscious beautiful music but at the same time like they're such chaotic parts as well and really like terrifying sounding things and it's such a good mashup of two worlds and yeah yeah i, I agree i think it's a very successful piece with the programmatic element involved. Mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. a good piece yeah and you can't have a whole orchestra on your on your island so you have plenty of friends yes <laughs> that'd be very convenient <laughs> yeah yeah huh? okay sonia you finished the spitfire questions congratulations yay thank you (laughs) yay (laughs) i love that sound (laughs) it's the mauler right like the theme of mauler and the cowbells coming oh yes absolutely i love mahler (laughs) also so stoked to be doing mahler 8 for a second time actually (laughs) Uh yeah because the first time i did mahler 8 was at tanglewood in 2015 wow so it'll be great to do it again in a different group with minnesota right yeah what other group yeah okay Uh when is that coming up in a couple weeks i think oh okay so people go to minnesotaorchestra.org and purchase your tickets yes Yes. Please do. It'll be a good one. (laughs) So, Sonia, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How are you introduced to music in general? I guess, well, you already explained that your parents were musicians. And you also slightly explained how you chose cello. But can you continue the story and tell us how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so both my parents taught a lot. And I remember as a kid watching my dad teach, because he he taught both violin and viola. I remember watching how they held the instrument. Instrument, and I remember thinking, I don't know, that just doesn't look very convenient. <laughs> it, just, it, it doesn't seem very natural. And, and I don't know. And I remember watching my ma teach and perform. And I, I remember thinking like, yeah, that seems way nicer. And I, and I, I also, and I also just, you know, I, I love the idea that, you know, with a cello, you have both a high and low range. And it's kind of like, you know, the middle of the string family and yeah and I, I mean also in in chamber they they kind of are like the rock of chamber groups and I, I just felt like cello seemed like the right pick what when yeah. I was around seven I think okay. I was seven when I started was your mom your first teacher or oh yeah you... I'm sorry yeah yeah so my my mom was my first teacher and I believe I took from her for I think the first three ish years and then after that time we both agreed that it would probably be good to have some sort of daughter-mother separation. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Uh, And then I went to one of her really good friends who was a great cello teacher, Mark Leckis, in the Chicago area. And so you were put in the youth orchestras from an earlier age? Yeah. I mean, I remember my first orchestra camp that I, I went to was Birch Creek, which is where both my parents had been teaching it before I was even born. 
and my dad was program director of Birch Creek for seven years. I, I could be totally wrong, but I, I know that he was program director for quite some time. But uh, yeah, and that, and I went there when I was 12, and that was kind of my first, dip my toe in the water with playing really classic rep. Like, I remember that summer we did Beethoven, Passerelle, Symphony, and I remember I was so excited because I, I knew it from watching Fantasia. So yeah, I was like, yeah. oh my goodness, like, I get to play a piece that See all I, the I unicorn. know well. Yeah, yes. Little, yeah. <laughs> and I remember my mom also had me be her stand partner a lot in a community orchestra that rehearsed not too far from our home so that was also another way for me to get more comfortable with orchestral playing. And I, and I think she had me do that maybe when I was around 12 or 11. She, yeah, she had me start doing that quite early on. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was just her way of having me get more comfortable with orchestral playing and for me to just see what it's like to play in an orchestra. And of course, with a community orchestra, you know, it, the stakes aren't super high. Right. <laughs> you right. know? So, yeah, it was kind of a nice way of getting into the orchestral world, for sure. Did you have any visceral feelings when you first played in orchestra that continue today or any light you up or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I really love about orchestral playing is that there are so many people on stage, but even so, like, you're still a cog in the machine. You're still making a difference, even though they're, you know, 80 to 90 people. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy that aspect of it, that you're a part of something that's just creating so much sound all at once, and you're able to really create these really sensitive moments together. I mean, especially when you're playing with an orchestra and you're creating really, like, quiet moments. I mean, I feel like that's a really... It's a skill. Yeah, it's a skill, and I feel like there's really nothing like it. So you felt that when you're younger, too, just this idea of that teamwork that yeah. is the saying greater than the sum of its parts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had that Mahler 5 experience with your youth orchestra and you're going to, you went to study with Natasha at NEC. So you did like the audition circuit like most people, I assume, and jived with Natasha? Uh-huh, yeah. I remember uh, when I took lessons with people trying to figure out who felt like the best fit for me for undergrad. The two people that stuck out the most were Natasha Brodsky and Brant Taylor. And I remember thinking like, okay, if I'm able to get myself into NEC, I'll be with Natasha and then I can totally see myself going to DePaul to be with Brandt. Like, I kind of just had that in the back of my head. I kind of had this feeling that I was going to end up being back in Chicago at some point in my life. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that it worked out (laughs) that I was able to get myself into Brandt's studio for a master's degree, for sure. Yeah, I realized I did forget a step. What made you decide to pursue music professionally? I think it was because I saw my parents doing it so well they 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 made me feel inspired to really commit to it they both had such enormous 
studios. I mean, I think at one point, I think my dad had close to 40 students, just just private, just solely on his own, just from word of mouth. And both my parents would freelance a lot. And they also were in many regional orchestras in the Chicago area. Yeah. And just seeing them do so much and being able to juggle so many things and seeing them both be really happy and having fun with all their colleagues. I mean, since I'm an only child, I I would go to lots of their rehearsals and performances and seeing how these orchestras just felt like extended family that I think that also was also a big part of why I was really intrigued and wanting to be in an orchestra one day because I saw that being in an orchestra could really feel like a huge family in many ways. And you could create so many bonds and connections with people in your section and I mean, the whole orchestra. And yeah, seeing that as as a kid, I feel like that made a really profound impact on me. Yeah. So like the example was set in other words, like you had two people in in your life that had found that because I feel like a lot of people say the starving artist or the why are you going to go into music, you should be doing something that's more way more practical, etc. But you had two examples in your life that were successful in it and so you kind of saw the trail ahead Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I was very lucky having musicians as parents because they definitely warned me that Mm -hmm. you know if you really want to get yourself into a professional orchestra it's competitive you're gonna have to work really hard you're gonna have to practice a lot better (laughs) because because, I mean especially during high school I was not the best practicer I mean I definitely remember having a conversation with Hans at one point I remember him asking me, are you sure you're going into music because you want to? Like he wanted me to verbally say out loud that I was doing this solely because I want to and not because I'm trying to make my parents happy that I'm also huge though good yeah and and I mean I remember when he asked me that question at first it kind of took me by surprise but I really thought about it and told like no I I do really want to do this but I think that was also another way for him to tell me to practice more (laughs) (laughs) because I think that was like that was right before you know preparing tapes for school and yeah but I mean I'm I'm definitely glad he asked me that question because I feel like in a sense that question really made made me rethink things and reminded myself that no this career it really has to come from only yourself because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you're gonna have to build really thick skin to be able to make it in the music world yeah do you want to mention anything else about your schooling before I ask another pivotal question I mean something I learned while I was at New England Conservatory that I feel like I still think about it a lot and I feel like it impacted me was that so many people from my year at NEC supported one another mm-hmm. so much and it was nice because at NEC you also have your jazz majors the voice majors and also like the contemporary improv majors and I don't know there was something about the people in my year we always went to each other's performances mm-hmm. and and I think seeing that 
for all four years during my time there, it really made me realize how important it is to really like support one another Mm -hmm. and to be there for one another. And it's as simple as just showing up to someone's concert or performance. And that's all it takes to make another person feel that much more excited and like grateful and, you know, valued even, you know, yeah, they put work into that. performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I feel like seeing that all the time. I mean, also, it wasn't just people from my year. I mean, I saw it happen with everyone at NEC. I mean, people were constantly supporting one another and like traveling to different venues and clubs to see each other perform. And yeah, that made a huge impact on me. And it showed me how important it is to really support one another. I would like to think that I tried to use that model and take it with me when I went to DePaul. And I remember doing my best to go to like everyone's recitals in in the cello studios at DePaul. And we also the cello studio during my two years at DePaul, we had a lot of hangs and parties with one another. And I feel like that also made cello studio that much more enjoyable because, you know, we got to know each other on very personal levels. And yeah, I, I feel like that makes a huge difference too when you really get to know your colleagues on personal levels. And I think that goes hand in hand with chamber groups too. At the end of the day, the chamber group is going to sound amazing if the entire group likes to be with one another. (laughs) Um, I feel like you can really tell when the chamber group, honestly, they love the, yeah, they love the company of being with one another out of the rehearsal and in. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Also, those people are going to be your future colleagues, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're going to collaborate with them in the future or you know there's so it's also like not just the support and like everything that you're saying it's like also just networking I mean on a more business mm. level I guess sure yeah so absolutely. I mean, the music world is so small that it's why not be a good advocate for each other yeah because I mean like at the end of the day you going to support others you would also like to be supported so I was curious about your experiences auditioning for an orchestra a major orchestra and also successfully winning a job can you tell me about your process yeah i started taking orchestra auditions after i graduated from DePaul for my master's degree. I do know people start to take auditions way earlier, but I felt like I just needed a bit more time just to feel more comfortable with myself and with my playing and really fixing technique stuff. And so yeah, I I started taking auditions in 2016. And I think Minnesota was my 11th audition. And for the majority of the auditions, I was getting myself to the semi-rounds, but I would normally get cut uh, right after the semis. And for me, I just get way more nervous in the semi-rounds for some reason. The the prelims felt fine in a strange way, but yeah, I guess as things got closer to the end, that's when the heart and brain would would start yeah. <laughs> uh, working, working extra hard. It got to a point where I was feeling quite ready with the auditions I was going to and I think I was just getting so upset that I, I wasn't able to get past semi rounds for like I don't know either the ninth or 10th audition and and I I think I took 
an audition in Montreal and I didn't make it past semis and I and I had Minnesota a month later and that's when I just told myself you know what I'm gonna start taking beta blockers I'm, I'm gonna give it a shot I really wonder if this is gonna be the thing that will help because I just at the time I just I really didn't know what else I could do were you shaking a lot in the audition or was there an element of sometimes I would have the shakes but something that would happen is that my my heart rate would just get so fast and then because that was happening, then I felt like my brain would immediately start going into overdrive. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I just remember playing like certain semi rounds and I felt like my, my brain was just going a mile a minute. And it was like this voice in the back of my head was like constantly telling me what was going wrong. And it just felt like it was just so hard to really mimic the feeling in the practice room while doing a round. And then when the Minnesota audition happened, and when I got to semis, that's when I started taking half of a dose, and I realized it was working when the proctor came to knock on my door to bring me to the stage, and my heart rate did not budge. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is wild. Like, (laughs) Because normally it would absolutely shoot up, and that feeling where you can physically feel like the heartbeat, like, yeah, yeah. It was such a surreal experience. I mean, I just, I remember playing that semi-round feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm playing exactly how I felt like back in my apartment in Chicago. It felt so comfy, so at ease. I felt like my brain wasn't also going a mile a minute. And I felt like all these voices that would just be going off all the time during rounds. Normally, it they would completely shut off. It mm. just felt, it felt quiet. It felt calm. Mm. I felt like I was really able to just hone in on everything I was playing in the moment and it ended up working for this audition and and for the next because I think we had four or five rounds I think there are five rounds and then for the next rounds we had I just took half the dose for each one and it just complete game changer for me truly (laughs) it it worked out I mean granted of course you know I was working really hard at that point and and I I was feeling really comfortable with the excerpt but I mean I don't know I gotta give a shout out to my little beta blockers (laughs) because I mean I really they helped me feel really ground during all of those rounds and I don't know what would have happened if I didn't take that tiny little dose yeah that is wild I mean I know that that's a pretty common thing for musicians to do is to especially for auditions or for big solos or something like that is to take a beta blocker and I think it worked it's to each their own kind of thing you know I don't want to I don't want to say everyone must or you shouldn't exactly yeah definitely a case-by-case basis but I'm really glad that that's exactly what you need in that moment because obviously selfishly happy that you're in the Twin Cities. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like it's definitely something that's worth trying if you're curious about it. I mean, I feel like we're also at a point where it's just not, it shouldn't be taboo anymore to talk about it. I oh, mean, I don't think it is either, but yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe it is to some people. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, total game changer. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, mm. Sonia, are you ready to take a break? Yes, sounds okay. good. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome 
come back from the break. So in that first coffee meeting that we had, not only were we talking about how much we love RuPaul's Drag Race and how much we love Katya as well. Yes. Uh, specifically that drag queen. And I also wanted to mention, this is a tangent, how incredible you are at makeup and dressing <laughs> up. When we went out for Halloween this past Halloween, you dress up as like many different characters on many different days or over that course of that weekend or something, right? Yes. But you also showed up as Puss in Boots and it yes. was like so good your makeup was <laughs> stunning did you want Thank to talk you. a little bit about like your inspiration behind that before we get into tattoos yeah. sure yeah since I was little I feel like I always was very intrigued by dressing up but also just the holiday in general of Halloween of the one day you're quote-unquote allowed to, to dress however you want and no one cares really what you look like that day and I don't know I I feel that there's such a feeling of freedom in many ways, specifically on Halloween. And I always feel the same way every year. Being able to express myself in so many different characters and different ways artistically. And I mean, I now kind of make it a point to do at least two to four looks every Halloween, just Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I have a list somewhere in my phone of things and people and characters from films that I want to be at some point in the future. And I've always loved just the art of transformation. And I think that's probably also why we both love RuPaul's Drag Race, because I mean, we're seeing these people transform into another type of person that just looks Mm -hmm. so different from who they are in normal. Yeah. And I feel like it also goes hand in hand with how much I love fashion and how you're able to truly just show who you are. I mean, it's a way of just kind of laying it out there for everyone to see what you like and what even your personality is like through what you're wearing. And yeah. to me, it's li- it's really like wearing your heart on your sleeve in, mm. in many ways. And sometimes I feel like it's also kind of a sneaky way to kind of weed out people <laughs> in terms of like, I don't know, who, who you become close friends with. Because I, I don't know, because I don't know, sometimes like people... you in some way, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think sometimes people, you know, won't connect with what you look like or how you dress. But sometimes based on what you're wearing and how you look, sometimes people are excited by it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It is incredibly inspiring. And I wanted to make a point on the podcast about that. Oh, as part of your identity. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So with that in mind, you you said dressing up and getting into these characters is almost like wearing your heart on your sleeve. Is that Mm -hmm. how you feel about your tattoos and how you approach tattoo art? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like with my tattoos, I think I have around... I counted them somewhat recently. It was either like 12 or 13 at this point. But for me, my tattoos are extremely personal and some of them are in memory of some people and some are of experiences that I feel like shaped me in a specific way. But I also feel like my tattoos, they've also been the thing that has made me feel more comfortable being in my body. Because I feel like I've 
had some pretty intense, just difficult periods of time being comfortable with my body and how it looks. I mean, I definitely remember having the conversation with my ma about getting breast augmentation surgery and like, Mm -hmm. and that whole conversation. But as I've gotten older and now since I have started to get more and more tattoos, it definitely makes me realize that I'm I'm definitely glad that I didn't commit to getting a surgery. I mean, I, there's absolutely nothing against it. I believe people should, they're allowed to get whatever they want whenever. But for me, for some reason, getting more and more tattoos have made me feel that much happier just because I, I'm really happy with all the things that are currently on my body. And and some of them I've had close friends design them for me. So I feel like I'm just turning. Yes. And, and so it just feels like I'm just turning into this, like kind of this walking canvas and that makes me feel proud to yeah. be in this vessel of flesh. Of art. <laughs> or that. <Yeah. laughs> Both. Well, I feel like especially women, but I feel like everybody goes through a level of body dysmorphia. Oh, sure. And yeah. I really sympathize with, and I feel like I'm still adjusting to that. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not always feeling like I am super comfortable in my body, mm-hmm. you know, for certain reasons or another, right? And Right. I guess I never really thought, I mean, okay, so I don't have any tattoos. And we've talked about this, like, I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just don't know, you know, what I would put on my body. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean that I've never thought about using my body as, again, I love the word that you used was a canvas as a mm. canvas for art. And that reflects you and the experiences and the important things that have happened in your life. Mm-hmm. That's like such a very cool way of viewing tattoos that I've mm. never, I don't know, just never crossed my mind at least Mm -hmm. yeah because I mean there's definitely a period of time when I was younger where I I felt like yeah it was hard to even kind of like look at pictures of myself and yeah and I feel like now with having such meaningful things in such visible places on my body yeah it brings me a lot of joy to see them and for me to be able to see these things on my body like every single day and they're they're not going away (laughs) it's it's really on there until until I go. But I mean, I feel like I usually sit on certain ideas for quite some time before I get them. But I mean, the most recent one I got is in memory of my father who passed in 2019. And I had a great friend design this gorgeous tattoo. And I sent her a photo of one of my dad's favorite cars that he owned. And it's this great vintage Fiat convertible car. And I asked her if if she could transform this car into like vines and flowers and incorporating orchids because my dad was also a huge gardener. So I, I kind of in my mind, I had this like image of his car, but like just flowers and vines and it's creating the shape and the outline of this convertible. I mean, I do love to draw like, but for some reason, I feel like I would be way more critical of myself if I tried to do the design. Yeah. So having another friend do it I feel like it just also just put a lot of pressure off of me (laughs) and she was so generous with her time and she made the design like in three different ways and then we decided on one and and I recently got it finished just a couple months ago and just because I think because of the pandemic a lot of tattoo artists and shops they're so booked at this point it's so hard to get appointments in a slot and I think also because of the pandemic I want to say more people want to get tattoos 
choose. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, Interesting. I don't know. Or I don't know, just because I feel like the pandemic, it's really, it's allowed people to really dig deep within themselves and figure out more things about what they want. And, you know, to me, that makes actually sense. Like I used to, so I've dyed my hair ever since p- mm. the pandemic yeah. because it was this idea of, well, I've been trying to be quote unquote professional for so long mm-hmm. and I wanted to be quote unquote taken seriously for so long that mm-hmm. the pandemic did shift my mindset a bit of like, well, why can't I express myself the way I want to with coloring my hair or whatever, however I feel like it, right? Yeah. I mean, so my version is not necessarily as permanent as a, as a tattoo, but yeah, it's, 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 it's similar, still, you know, in some ways. Yeah. It's like reaching for something that why not, why prevent yourself from doing something when you never know when the world's gonna like end or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's also, like I mean, hair dyeing, I mean, it's absolutely a way of expressing yourself and it's something extremely artistic. I mean, I feel like it's also something that at the end of the day, it makes you feel more excited to see every day. And like when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you get to see this like awesome, like purple color, like around your face. And it's just, it's such a a fun way to express yourself and to really embrace color. Or like show a little bit of yours. I didn't mean to go on so much about the hair color, but the identity thing of like, like I'm not completely anonymous. And I also have a personality that I can still show outside even before you get to know me. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Of course. And that's where the fashion part, I bet, comes in for you too, a little bit. Expressing yourself even before you say your first word or whatever Mm -hmm. to someone brand new. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Are you willing to share any other of the stories behind some of them? I mean, I know you said one of them was about your teacher, but I I didn't. Are there any others that you're willing to open up about? Yeah. I mean, some of the other tattoos that I currently have on my body, the music camps that I mentioned earlier, Birch Creek, since the place where the orchestra performs is. Is a barn and on the side of this barn is this really cool wheel looking sculpture that's made out of car bumpers and a car hubcap I'm pretty sure so that was one of like the first big tattoos I got when I started my journey uh, on, on getting tattoos all over just because I mean Birch Creek it was my first music camp that I went to as a kid and it, it yeah it made a huge impact on me and I had such a great time and yeah like I said it was like one of the first experiences I had playing like classic orchestral rep and so yeah that was a big moment for me and yeah like surrounding that wheel are two flowers and one is a hibiscus flower because I grew up on the street hibiscus drive and the other flower is actually from the inside of my cello it's on the label um, which which lists the maker of the instrument so that's another flower oh that's very cool yeah yeah I still have a list going currently of of yeah. things that <laughs> that I still want to be put somewhere on my body. <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely I I the most recent tattoo I got is from an illustration from one of my favorite children's books, Stella Luna. Did you read that one as a kid? I chance? I'm, I'm I don't know if I did, but I think I'm envisioning the cover of it. I think yeah. definitely. I mean Stella Luna for me it was it's a book about a little baby bat that ends up falling into 
a, a nest of baby birds and the baby bat and the birds, they end up talking and the birds are so confused why the bat sleeps upside down and the bat is confused why the birds are sleeping right side up. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's just a very charming book. And I remember just, I, I just loved the art seeing mm-hmm. it as a kid and I loved the story. And so I recently got an illustration from that book. That book. Yeah, just because I, I, for me, I feel like the things you read as a child, I feel like that makes a big impact. I, I, yeah, and yeah. it does a lot to well, I feel like your your subconscious as a kid. Yeah, the metaphor, as you're saying, of like you know questioning why do bats sleep upside down and the birds sleep right side up is like one way of looking at the same situation from mm-hmm. two angles and yeah, not always having one fixed vision of something. Yeah, For absolutely. Instance, it's like a reminder of that. I mean, I feel like I'm asking such dumb questions because I'm no. not a tattoo person or haven't no. yet, let's say. How much does placement on your body of a tattoo take importance? I feel like for me, placement is super important, especially depending on how the art will lay. So for instance, like the really big tattoo that I have of the car that was my yeah. dad's made up of flowers and vines, I I knew I, I wanted the car to be on a place on my body that would be extremely flat. And I also, I did want it to be on a place on my body that I would be able to see it every day. And I also feel like because it's a car, I wanted it to be able to be in a place on my body where it could actually look like it could drive away, (laughs) if that makes any, any sense. So it's currently on the inside of my left forearm. So if I put my forearm, if I rest it on a flat surface, it kind of mm-hmm. looks like the car is mm-hmm. like... On it can, yeah. yeah. So I definitely, I like that aspect of the placement of the car. But yeah, but there are definitely there are some other tattoos that are wrapping around my arm and there's another tattoo that's somewhat hidden on the inside of my left bicep because it feels like a more personal place because it, it is it is more hidden but that one it it comes from one of the more wild things that have happened to me in the past and I feel like it is a more personal story because it happened in such a small space so what happened was that I was coming from a lesson with my teacher Brant in Chicago and I was leaving his, his place got into an elevator was going down and then it stopped on like the 50th floor or so And this man comes in, holds the elevator, two women walk in, and one woman has like a normal like winter coat on. This is, I think, in January. And the other woman had on floor length black fur coat and these huge cat eye sunglasses. And then the elevator starts going down. And maybe like 20 seconds in, I realize that the woman in the fur coat is Lady Gaga. Oh my God! (laughs) What? Sorry, what? I'm freaking out. What did you do? Oh my god. And and I realized because (laughs) I'm like freaking out. Go on. 
oh, yeah. and, and I realized it was her because of her nose because she oh, has such a distinct yes. nose and I mean these cat eye sunglasses they're enormous so they were covering majority of her face but I, de- I realized it was her and then I just ended up asking like are you Lady Gaga she's like yeah <laughs> and then <laughs> just like so casually and then I was like oh can I give you a hug I'm like I'm such a huge fan and like you've been such like an inspiration to me for such a long time and yeah. so I gave her a hug and then she was very fascinated by my cello case because at the time it was just covered with stickers yeah that's and, mine still that way yeah. yeah and I remember I had like an Obama sticker on it and I remember that was one of the things she was like Obama sticker nice nice yeah 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 <laughs> and, and at the time I was preparing for my Tanglewood audition for Tanglewood summer of 2015 and I knew that she was gonna be there at Tanglewood because oh, that was when she was Tony doing Bennett? her yes the jazz yes. tour so I, I asked her like you're gonna be at Tanglewood this summer right she's like yeah and I'm like oh I'm, I'm gonna be taking the Tanglewood audition next week for the Tanglewood like orchestra festival and I, I yeah. really hope I can get in there. I'll totally try and like see you perform there she's yeah. like oh well like I hope you get in I'm like oh and then I like <laughs> like made sure to just like practice so hard to yeah to get in and it, it worked out and I of was course, yeah. uh, and did I was able to I did and the fun, the funny thing about that is that at one point I went into a coffee shop with some chamber people and they knew because I think at that time I was telling everyone about the Lady Gaga story so yeah. they knew I was a big fan and they knew she was performing at the Tanglewood Shed and one of my chamber mates pointed to the bulletin board at this coffee shop and she's like Sony you need to look at this and it was a little handwritten note saying that selling Lady Gaga tickets for the for the Shed concert yeah. call this number if you want to buy them off me so I like called the person right away and I was able to get myself a ticket for a very sold out show <laughs> oh um, wow yeah. so yeah I was able to I mean it was still kind of far away but I mean to be able to be you know sitting down yeah. and like being surrounded by people was it yeah. was a really really good time for sure oh my god i can't believe that story that's an incredible story oh my god yeah yeah so i guess i the reason why i say it's a personal story just because like it was an experience that happened just between me and her in this like very small there's no escape she can't escape from you yeah Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess because of that, like, it felt like a place that's that's more so for me rather than having it be in a place where it's very visible and, like, yeah. it... Because usually, you know, people will ask you about your tattoos, especially the very visible ones that, you know, are on your arms and or shoulders. And so it definitely, it feels like a, a little, just yeah, one for like me. Yeah, placement, but placement, right, exactly, does matter based on, like, your experience. And I mean, I find that's just interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I know sometimes people choose tattoo placement based on pain level. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, I can definitely tell you which spots were more painful for me. But at, at the end of the day, you know that the pain is going to end at a certain yeah. point. And I think that's the thing that just helps me get through the sessions mm-hmm. is that even though, you know, it can be quite uncomfortable at times, but just knowing that it will end 
end at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 knowing that you'll get to have this image on you for the rest of your life and you're right. it'll make you feel that much more proud that you stuck it through. Well, I just what popped in my head just a second ago when I was dealing with sciatica, I was wondering mm-hmm. how the pain level I was experiencing on sciatica compared to birth. And and I think some person wrote once like, well, at least with childbirth that you have a child at the end of it with sciatica you're just like yeah oh my god so I, I just thought very similarly like well I, I mean i'm sure the pain is not of that scale either but mm. at least like well at the end of it you get a piece of art on your body right that will, yes that's what, yeah <laughs> so, yep yep yeah yeah it it definitely has been interesting though getting tattoos on various different parts of my body and being surprised at how not painful some are and how painful others can be like i definitely remember thinking getting a tattoo on my upper side of my right thigh would be a piece of cake and mm-hmm. for some reason i i remember it feeling really not great <laughs> i was yeah. I was, I was very shocked because i was like oh it's gonna be on the leg i it's bet the skin is is like thicker there it'll be fine but yeah that one was a bit of a shock and then the opposite happened where i got a little baby tattoo that's a symbol from the show Twin Peaks on the top of my spinal cord and I remember thinking oh man this might be terrible because this some of this is going to be on bone and that ended up being one of the easiest ones and I was like what (laughs) like wow (laughs) (laughs) like this should this should be terrible but yeah yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey for sure with with the pain and pain tolerance and yeah mm -hmm. do you have any advice for anyone who might be interested in getting tattoos yeah i mean i think the best word of advice i could give is if you think of something that you want sit on the idea for at least a couple months if not possibly even half a year (laughs) um i don't know because sometimes things can change depending on the idea for instance, I remember when I was younger, before I, I got any tattoos, I remember for a long time, I was determined to get cello F-holes on my back. Yes. And now I'm very grateful I did not get that because there are some days where I feel like I hate the cello <laughs> because, <laughs> because I just feel like I'm having a bad day or like yeah. I really upset with how I performed. And I, I don't know, like knowing that I have something that connects with the instrument itself. I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I feel like you have to think of circumstances that might make you not want the tattoo it, mm-hmm. it, like as strange as that sounds even if it's like something associated with like you know your life or your passion you mm-hmm. have to kind of remind yourself that I don't know as like as terrible as this sounds like you might end up getting into an accident one day that like makes you not able to play your instrument anymore and if right. you, and if and if you have something on your body that reminds you of your instrument that might make you sad um, yeah 
right. uh, I mean, of course, that's when cover-up tattoos are great <laughs> and those can be useful. But yeah, I feel like you have to think of big picture uh, yeah. when, when coming up with your tattoo idea or design. But in terms of the day of getting a tattoo, my word of advice is drink a lot of water and make sure you have a lot of food in you because... Mm. Yeah, sometimes you'll you'll definitely start to feel a little bit faint. Sometimes, I mean, especially depending on how painful it is. And you sweat a lot <laughs> when, oh, when you're getting okay. a tattoo. So drinking a lot of water before getting a tattoo is very important. So okay. that's my words of advice. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I could ask you so many questions about tattoos, but I, <laughs> you know, that could run this podcast episode to multiple hours. Are there any <laughs> okay. parting other words that you want? wanted to share about either your tattoo specifically or just the art of tattooing? The one thing I feel like that could be useful, especially since you're always talking to musicians and you know, in in oh, the in, in the classical field, I did uh, forget to ask that question about uh, stigma. Yeah, I mean, I I was about to say, like, for any listeners out there who are classical musicians and who are having second thoughts on getting a tattoo because of being in the classical music world, I think you should not be worried about it. I really think things are changing. Also, because when you're playing in an orchestra, you're required to wear long sleeves anyway. <laughs> so I feel like at the end of the day, it really shouldn't matter if you're showing up to work with, you know, a full sleeve or like a tattoo that's covering your entire back. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I really don't think it should matter at all. I mean, I feel like almost goes in hand in hand with, you know, talking about, you know, dyeing your hair like different colors. I mean, that was something that I thought was really exciting, honestly, when, when I would see pictures and videos of Minnesota and I saw someone like Susie Park, yeah. who's assistant concert master, and she always has like the most brilliantly colored hair. And it's it's exciting to see orchestras being totally okay with it. And that makes me feel, you know, that much more comfortable, like showing up to rehearsals with strangely colored hair. And but yeah, but I mean, I feel like it's a way of expressing yourself. And I feel like that's what tattoo are and I feel like no one should be allowed to tell you oh no. you can't you can't yeah. have this job because you're covered with ink like I, th I think it's completely pointless <laughs> I, they're looking they're not focusing on the right things you know yeah because at the end of the day if you're showing up to work and you're prepared and you're doing the best that you can having a tattoo on your body should not matter yeah, yeah. so I think to anyone out there who are having second thoughts because they're a classical musician, I, I would say, don't you dare do that. Yeah. <laughs> just just go for it. Don't be worried or concerned. I think, yeah. I, I mean, I also think people are definitely becoming more and more open-minded when it comes to tattoos. I mean, I yeah. feel like I remember reading something somewhere saying that way more people are getting tattoos nowadays. It's almost more uncommon to not have a tattoo. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> or, or at least, I don't know, it almost feels that way sometimes because I mean even now people are getting like the really tiny tattoos like yeah, baby sure. tattoos and yeah, well you yeah. know it tactic it still is a tattoo no matter how tiny it is and that's right 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for opening up and sharing your experiences and stories and journeys with your t- own tattoo art. And I can't wait to see what's coming next because I'm sure. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, I'm assuming it's going to be soon. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like There's I should a couple definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should definitely take a little break. I feel like I've gotten a lot in the past year. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I be, I need to control the the itch, but yes. But whenever but, it happens, no pressure, of course. Yes. Can I ask you two final questions? Yes. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? I think I would tell myself that it's okay that you didn't find your comfort level yet in terms of practicing because I feel like I remember feeling quite lost when I was at least when I was in high school and kind of I I almost want to say halfway into undergrad I was still having a really hard time figuring out how to practice and practice well and efficiently so I, I kind of felt like I was almost like ashamed at like how much of a late bloomer I was in terms Mm. of like finding that the rhythm of practicing and practicing well. So I feel like I would tell myself that you shouldn't feel bad that it does take you a long time to figure that out. Because I feel like with time, you begin to realize which things work best for you and how you handle things under pressure. And especially with time constraints and, and also depending on how busy your schedule is outside of preparing for auditions stuff like that so I feel like yeah my advice is at the end of the day it doesn't matter how long you practice like even though you know you'll hear your friends talking about how they can practice six hours a day or like four hours a day and you just have to do what's best for you and if that means practicing for like an hour or 45 minutes a day then so be it like I mean if you feel like you're able to accomplish a lot in a small amount of time and you feel like that was all you could do that day it's totally Mm -hmm. fine because I feel like you know at the end of the day you have to keep thinking about how you're feeling mentally and I feel like that also determines a lot with how you practice for instance like right before I took the Minnesota audition because I'm pretty sure I think it was in the beginning of January it was either like January 5th or 7th or something and I was determined to have a New Year's Eve party and have a <laughs> yeah. lot of people over on yeah. like, New Year's Eve and like yeah. on and January 1st mm-hmm. and I just had to tell myself like I most likely will not be able to practice a lot on these days just you know because yeah. preparing for big parties you have you have a lot of stuff to do you know yeah. you, you, yeah, you want to yeah. make sure you things enjoy are... yourself yeah <laughs> And, and I just had to remind myself, like, this is going to make me feel happy. Like, that, like, mm-hmm. these things are going to make me feel more at ease. And I don't know. I'd like to think that having those days of being with friends and having a great time, I feel like possibly that helped me win the job as well. Like, sure. it, be, because I was making a point of still allowing myself to have time with friends and having good experiences like, outside yeah. of cello. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Walking your own path and being confident in knowing that you're doing what's best for you and not trying to align that or compare that to anyone else's journey. Yeah. It's so hard to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons why I feel like the show RuPaul's Drag Race made such a huge impact on my life is because you're watching all these queens uh, like compete, but you're noticing which ones last to the end. And those are the ones who are not, they don't care about what the other queens around them are doing. They're just focused, they're focusing on themselves. They're focusing on their own aesthetic, but they're Mm -hmm. also, you know, they're paying attention to what the panel is telling them to fix and so and I feel like it's always so consistent every season and it's always the queens who just they're not concerned and worried about the queens around them and I feel like what just watching so many seasons of Drag Race there's so many connections with honestly preparing for orchestra auditions and and watching the show I feel like I learned a lot about myself and preparing for for stuff (laughs) yeah no oh my gosh I love that you brought RuPaul back in (laughs) but there's always a way to do it (laughs) absolutely absolutely my second question as we enter a post-pandemic world I think I'm comfortable saying that now what elements of your musical pandemic life would you want to continue and what would you want to shed for a chunk of time, I was being very good at going through etudes, like oh, nearly, wow. nearly every day. <laughs> I was very surprised. I was surprised at myself, but sadly that stopped. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I feel like I would love to get that willpower back again of, of, you know, I, uh-huh. because I was, I was going through proper etudes, but I was making it a point to really make them my own and like just taking a lot of time like musically and like switching up the bowings doing the opposite bowings doing Mm -hmm. weird dynamics like experimenting with them yeah yeah I I felt like I was like challenging myself and it was just for me yeah that was definitely something out of the pandemic I was really glad that I did do that I would like to get back into that (laughs) I think it it was it definitely felt like a healthy thing to do yeah but I think I during the the first year of the pandemic it definitely it felt hard to perform again like Mm -hmm. I I def I definitely remember getting like way more bow shakes than usual while Mm -hmm. while performing that was definitely a very uncomfortable thing to experience and I mean it's, it's slowly going away with time and just you know being used to performing more regularly again but yeah uh, it is something to practice for sure yeah. yeah, and and in different scenarios, create different nerves that you don't, you kind of forgot about or didn't yeah. expect or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any platforms or websites for listeners to learn more about you or any upcoming projects? You can find me on the Minnesota Orchestra website, and I'll be performing with them for the end of the season and the upcoming summer season. And then I'm doing one concert with Lakes Area Music Festival for my first time, and I'll be I'm excited to yeah to do that but other than that pretty You'll active in- on my instagram account at sony monster <laughs> so <Nice>. yeah <laughs> yeah great and if you enjoyed listening be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're tuning into this podcast leave a review on apple Podcasts while you're at it it doesn't need to be long your review will help others search for the podcast because of its crazy algorithms and you'll make sushi's day and it's free make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family as well if you want to level up you can always become part of the hide and behind the music stand family by donating what you will on our patreon page at patreon.com slash hide and music stand our social media handle for facebook instagram and twitter is at hide and 
Hidden Music Stand, and we'd love to hear from you at our email, hiddenmusicstand at gmail.com. Didn't recognize the piece we discussed during the episode? No worries. There's a Spotify playlist with all the music discussed for your convenience. The link is in the description of each episode. Sonia, thank you so much for your vulnerability opening up talking to us about your musical upbringing and your tattoo journey and sharing this time with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is really nice. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Say bye, sushi. I mean, it's the phrase like do unto others um, as you want to. I, I know where you're going. I, I don't know. It's like, is it a Bible verse or something? Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm like the least religious person, so too, I, I, I would either. have no clue. Do unto others as you would do, as you would want, as, I'm gonna, so many, so many lookups. I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. I did, yeah, I definitely feel like a Michael Scott with things like this, because I, I feel is, like I would. from the Bible. I wasn't oh, wrong. Wow. Oh, Okay. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is also known as the golden rule, I guess. Oh. It's from, it's from Luke 6, chapter 6. I don't even know how to. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Luke. <laughs> Luke 6, 31. Nice. Yeah. <laughs>